0: You're listening to the Royal Society of Medicine's Digital Health Podcast Series, where we aim to support healthcare innovation by disseminating knowledge of expert leaders at the Royal Society of Medicine. I'm your host, Dr Marla Malkin. Welcome to another episode of the Digital Health Podcast from the Royal Society of Medicine's Digital Health Council. Remember that all views expressed in this episode are of the speakers themselves and not of the Royal Society of Medicine. So in this episode, we were lucky to be joined by Dr. Edward Coralt, and he's a clinical specialist for Google Health. He's also an ophthalmologist and a clinical research fellow at Moorfields Eye Hospital. He recently co-authored a paper asking, will artificial intelligence replace ophthalmologists? In this episode, we discussed how AI really optimise the time that a clinician spends with a patient, and we talk about how machine learning can improve how ophthalmology is practised. Enjoy! Welcome to this episode of the Digital Health Podcast series and I'm here with Dr. Edward Korot who is a specialist um, at Google Health and also a clinical research fellow at Moorfields Eye Hospital. He trained in the US but is now here with us today um, to give us really an expert overview following his talk today on automated code-free machine learning framework for ophthalmic image analysis. So thank you for being here, a great title. Please tell us a bit more about you and your background and what got you into all of this.
1: Sure. So that's a bit of a mouthful. Um, (laughs) Even the background, honorary clinical research fellow at Moorfields Eye Hospital and UCL. So so I split my time right now between UCL and as an external consultant for Google Health. Um, And so I finished my ophthalmology training in the States. Uh, at Beaumont and then came over here for a year from last July to this July so I'm heading back home uh, going to Stanford for retina surgery training. Um, So what I'm doing here uh, at at Moorefields I have a grant to investigate automated machine learning so that's what my talk was today Um, and so in brief automated machine learning is machine learning that lets you train a model without using code. Um, so my, my whole idea is that this will democratize medical AI and digital health and um, we'll be able to have more clinicians and more researchers actually training their own models, um, investigating the pros and cons of ML um, and being able to then both create their own algorithms for their own uses as well as being able to more rigorously evaluate the things that are out there right now when they look to apply it for their patients.
0: Brilliant. Okay, so for a layperson like myself and some of our listeners, how would you actually define that? So what, how would you um, normally create this machine learning process and um, what is the difference with this automated bit? I mean, actually, physically what's happening that's different?
1: Sure. So what we now like to call in our group bespoke expert models are what is currently out there, mostly, and it's the state of the art. Um, So that consists of a machine learning engineer um, curating a data set with the help of others, and then manually designating which parameters they wish to use to train their machine learning model. Okay. So that includes hyperparameter tuning. It includes model selection. Um, and then deploying that model as well, doing the evaluation, doing the tuning, et cetera. Um, so what, automa- what auto- AutoML does is it automates all those pain points for you. So you can have a data set, you can apply labels, and the AutoML algorithm, or what we call the AI building the AI, will automatically choose a model architecture for you. So it'll pick which kind of which type of model is best suited for your specific task and then it'll do all the little tunings um, of all the hyperparameters to actually train the model to perform well on your data set so that doesn't yeah. obviate the needs for dataset curation, label balance, um, careful splits that maintain a patient level split to avoid data um, leakage. Um, but it does automate a lot of the pain points. So our group has tried to evaluate all these different platforms out there uh, to try to see if one, um, we can use them as people without that much coding knowledge, and two, if they're robust, and three, then if we can validate them um, and eventually deploy them. But right now we're not saying that this is going to be deployed to patient use or anything like that. So,
0: so does it work, the, the big question? It does work, so okay, brilliant. our next
1: phase of our work is try to compare our AutoML models to interesting papers, quote unquote, um, that show really cool machine learning models, such as uh, predicting sex from um, retinal fundus photographs, which was kind of a breakthrough paper uh, a couple of years ago, showing that you could look at a retinal photograph and say um, if it's a male or a female. So they trained a deep learning model to do that. And so no ophthalmologist had thought thought that was possible before. Um, And they just, these engineers at Google Brain created this model that could do it with an AUC of 0.97. So we're looking at replicating those interesting papers uh, with AutoML. Uh, And so we are getting good results on that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't want to self-scoop too much, but (laughs) we're getting really good performance. And then other-
0: with prospective data, sorry, or are we looking retrospectively, yep. still looking backwards at the data set? So
1: we're so we're looking at uh, retrospective data sets first, and we actually first started with public data sets. Okay. We do want to emphasize that you do need to get all of the proper information governance approvals from your home institution. So that takes a long time to be able to de-identify your own data uh, from your own um, institution uh, from those patients to train models based on those, which would be more relevant to the local use cases. Mm-hmm. So we first started with the publicly available data sets. Um, and the, the good thing about that is anyone can do it. Anyone can go online, find an AutoML platform, and there are a few, um, find an open source data set, and play around with these models. So that's what we encourage, and that's what I was encouraging in my talk.
0: So for the patients you're, you know that go into their eye appointments will there, will this change the way that they're treated? Will they see any changes mm. to the actual treatment process or is this more for the fun and games of the clinicians mm. that are playing with these tools?
1: So I wouldn't say fun and games. Again, we're not, <laughs> we're not launching it yet. Um, and that's I think we have to be doubly cautious with AutoML as we are with these bespoke expert algorithms because you don't necessarily know even which architecture is being used to train your model. So we're looking at, uh, differentiating, d- at, at, at differentiating ourselves um, with model explainability in the context of AutoML. So being able to see how these models can fail, what exactly they're looking at when they're training, potentially surfacing the architecture used. So right now it's purely, purely on the, re- on the re- research side um so not yet you won't be able you won't be going to your appointment and, and seeing an auto but, but in the future but, but in the future there's the potential if you again if you validate them if you prove that it performs well um, if you show that it fails safely so we're looking at um, ways that models can fail mm-hmm. and to make sure that they s- fail predictably and safely mm-hmm. so the models will fail um And there's certain things like hidden stratifiers within data sets that aren't necessarily being evaluated explicitly now in the current framework of regulation that you need to really look at to make sure your model fails, but fails safely and predictably.
0: Interesting. So then what can you see for, I mean, for ophthalmology and Mm. um, what can you see going on in the future um, for the way that we can really deliver patient care in the next 20, 30 Mm. years' time? What's the future looking like? So,
1: I think ophthalmology is uniquely positioned to drive the adoption of machine learning in healthcare and digital health um, due to two things. One, the volume of ophthalmology visits is skyrocketing, and it's actually the number one subspecialty in visit volume in the NHS. Wow. Um, Uh, Because people are getting older and a lot of these diseases like age-related macular degeneration are age-related, right? It's Mm -hmm. in the title of the disease. Um, So that's the first reason, is that there's a lot of volume of data. And the second reason is that it's very imaging focused. Mm -hmm. So you have retinal fundus photography and OCT, or optical optical coherence tomography, um, which is used on every patient that gets a retina exam um, to generate 3D images. Uh, of the back of the eye. So you have a lot of data and you have a lot of appointments and you have a lot of imaging. So ophthalmology, I think, is uniquely positioned to take advantage of all this. So it's very difficult for the ophthalmologist um, to be able to responsibly look at all of the images that their patient had over the past five years. And it's a 3D image with so many dimensions, so many features. To be able to look at, let's say, the last 10 images, scroll through them all, integrate it in your head find the trends and then actually apply it to your patient's care is very difficult so there's just so much data Mm -hmm. and I think that's why AI can play a part where it can do that integration over time and over volume and surface the trends and then show the clinician a concise summary of this is what the patient's imaging has shown this is potentially things that we need to be aware of this is how their disease might progress and this Mm -hmm. is how their disease might respond to treatments so just to be able to summarize that information is going to be a huge time saver for the clinician and time as we know is the big problem for all clinicians so
0: of course And, and globally of course you know this will give you know access to people that didn't really have these tools before if you can automate this process then we can really see some huge improvements potentially in in global health
1: Correct. So our team's also looking at what we call edge models. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are machine learning models that run um, locally on a device, whether that's a smartphone or a local computer. So a lot of these automated machine learning models can actually be exported as edge models, wow. meaning that you can train a diabetic retinopathy detection model or uh, referral model, for example, um, export it as an edge model that will then run on your phone within an app that you can just point at an image and it'll it'll tell you without needing a data connection without needing all that infrastructure that that entails which could be poor in some countries that don't have reliable internet all running on that phone can tell you if it's diabetic retinopathy that warrants referral or not
0: So could the machines really be telling the diagnosis to the patients or to the clinicians before you know, they've even had symptoms. Really, mm. I mean, h- how futuristic is this gonna, <laughs> is this gonna get? Really, I mean, you know, we've all, we've all that our Fitbits mm. know us better than ourselves. Mm. But really, can these images, can they tell us a story that we didn't mm. really know that really was going on?
1: To an extent, I just had a paper come out last month titled "Will AI Replace Ophthalmologists?"
0: Okay. And the big <laughs> conclusion is no. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad for you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: because. AI yeah. will be used to summarize data trends, I think, but you still need the clinician there to contextualize the data for that patient. Exactly. So how is that gonna affect that patient within their unique circumstance? If, if their vision loss is gonna affect their life because they have three steps to their front door and they won't be able to see those three steps, um, you need context. And until we have what we call general AI, which can process as many different tasks as a human. The human is actually the most general intelligence that we have right now. Mm. And so we need that to provide context for something that the algorithm gives us.
0: So, okay, so the, so the final question that I'm going <laughs> to prod you with today is what do you think is the biggest challenge in ophthalmology that we can really use digital health to help solve?
1: So I do think that this rings true across specialties. Um, and I mentioned it a little bit before, it's really time. So it's volume of patients and then time. So it's the supply and demand imbalance that you see across healthcare, especially in resource-constrained environments. Um, And so I really do think that as it stands currently, um, AI can basically... Optimize the time that a patient spends with the with that that a clinician spends with the patient. Mm-hmm. So summarizing large data sets, large imaging sets, over time from that patient, um, to provide the ophthalmologist with a concise summary and and predictors of where that patient might be going, then allowing that ophthalmologist to not spend an hour. Reviewing that data or however long per patient. It's not not going to be an hour. I'll tell you that (laughs) Um, But to focus their their time with the patient on explaining to them This is what you have. This is what our models show might happen in the future And this is how it will affect you So this is a lot of a lot of the reason we went into medicine is to spend time with the patient and to be human with that patient And I think AI will allow us to do that
0: but it's so interesting and exciting and I'm um, looking forward to really seeing what comes of it. So thank you very much for your time here. I'm um, Really appreciate it and uh, look forward to speaking more in the future. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the RSM Digital Health podcast series from the Digital Health Council. Please remember that the views expressed in this podcast are of the speakers themselves and not of the RSM. You can continue to follow us on this podcast and tune in to the next episode. And also we'd love to have you down at some of the Digital Health Council events at the RSM, which you can find out more about at www.rsm.ac.uk. And we've put the links in the podcast description too. Bye for now.